Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. If you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 30. We want to read together this portion of the gospel. And um, we've been looking at certain snapshots over the gospels leading up to the cross this month as we head into Easter in a couple of weeks. And uh, here's this other conversation moment seen in Jesus' life with his disciples where this topic comes up that the cross is, is coming. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the first or the servant of all. He took a child whom he placed among them. Taking the child into his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let's pray. God, we just pause right now to invite you to speak to us. Grab our attention. Bring your conviction into our hearts, God, as we explore this story together. Lead us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. What a scene we're entering in right here in Mark 9. And uh, Mark's gospel is split a little bit in half where we see some of the stories of Jesus in the first eight chapters. And then Jesus begins to teach his disciples and lean into the cross in the next eight chapters. And this scene is, is pretty cool because Jesus again is revealing his trajectory towards the cross to his disciples. He's already done this a number of times. He's been dropping hints and words and phrases And here he specifically gets them together to teach his disciples about this, about his death and resurrection that's coming. You would think that the disciples would really lean into this and start to understand this, but it seems to spark a conversation among them on their way back to another town called Capernaum. The text tells us that they're arguing. They're in some intense discussion with each other. And when Jesus inquires, hey guys, what are you talking about? They get silent. They get embarrassed. And maybe you've been in that moment where you're talking about something with friends and someone comes and says, hey, what are you guys chatting about? And you're like, oh oh my gosh, I don't want to tell you. Because you realize you're talking about something that they probably won't appreciate. And what the disciples are talking about seems to be so off topic to what Jesus just told them just was talking to them about in regards to his death in fact we would say today they're having a narcissistic discussion Um, why because they're really just asking each other hey who's the greatest have you ever been in a circle like that hey who's better who's best at this who does this better who's the better ball player or computer analysis or blah 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 and you fill in the blanks but that's the discussion they're having they're looking at each other and saying who's the best here 
they're being a little bit self-absorbed. They're thinking about their platform and their prestige and their position and, and their sense of power. I mean, they are walking alongside whom they're discovering is the Messiah. So they're looking for maybe the perks involved in this. But they're missing the point because they are so absorbed in their own status in who they are or who they can be or who they think they can be. And then Jesus has the talk. I call it the talk because he interrupts this and says, okay, he kind of pulls them aside. It seems like they're in some space where there are possibly other people there as well. And he pulls them aside and, and okay, guys, I need to tell you something. And he sits them down, says, let me, let me clear this up. And there's one verse, one line that just cuts through the noise of their discussion. And it's verse 35 where Jesus says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. It's worth repeating one line. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Here's Jesus that just gives them a complete contrast of what they're talking about. Uh, the, The original Greek might describe their walk towards Capernaum as on their way towards some place. The NRSV describes it this way. And yet Jesus is describing his way of life. I like to think of the contrast this way. While, see, their way, the disciples' way, they're still in kind of human thinking. Their way is still in contrast to Christ's way. It's so really important to see this dynamic still going on between the disciples and Jesus. Their way is still in contrast with Christ's way. They are slowly getting it, slowly understanding it, but they're fighting with it as well. The disciples will continue to struggle this, even into chapter 10 and ongoing. And it's something that all disciples of Jesus, I think, struggle with. You and I struggle with this. In the world we live in, in the culture we live in, in the kind of ambitions we're fed to have potentially. And we struggle with this. And I think this discussion here leads us again to this path forward that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. This cross-shaped life. And here we see another aspect of this cross-shaped life. And it's this. And and read this line with me off the screen. True greatness is not found in status but servanthood. I think that's the heart of what Jesus is getting at. True greatness is not found in status, but in servanthood. In fact, one could say that Jesus just flips the conversation on them. He turns their conversation upside down. The first will be last, and the last will be first. That's what Jesus is getting at. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last or last of all. That doesn't really sound like something you would be told in a competitive spirit. It's like, if you want to be first, then be first. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The way of the cross, the life I'm inviting you to, to true greatness isn't found in your status. It's found in servanthood. And it's not hard to see that he's pointing to the cross. What he was just telling them about, a couple of verses earlier, that his death is coming. And when you think about this, this kind of imbalance, this upside downness of Jesus, I mean, he's, think about it, the Son of God, the one whom the Old Testament calls the Ancient of Days, the, the cosmic Lord of the universe, 
all these things about who the Messiah is, he will die under a human government with the support of his own religious tribe. That's, that's like upside down. This person, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to have this kind of death? Talk about you want to be first being very last. Jesus will die a criminal's death. And the key description here that Jesus gets at is this one word that jumps out at the end of verse 35. It's the word servant. If you want to be first, you must be last. But being last means being a servant. It's not being the worst among us. It's not having um, a low view of oneself. It's actually becoming a servant. And the cross was the key way that Jesus helps us understand this because Jesus humbly served humanity. He humbly served you and me at the cross. Mark 10, 45, just a chapter later, Jesus says these words, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and become a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. He tells us this specifically he doesn't mince words. He doesn't hide it. This is like, this is why I've come, not to be served, but to serve. And so Jesus is telling us that greatness looks like servanthood, that greatness is actually found in servanthood. And he tells us a little bit about what it looks like. And the first thing it, it, I want to kind of allude to this is not just what it looks like but what it doesn't look like in chapter 10 he'll say in mark 10 verse 42 he'll say it's not like the romans or the gentiles it's it's not like the way you've seen leadership in your world these days talking to the disciples and he says these words specifically in verse 42 he says you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the gentiles lord it over them so these rulers lord over the people and their high officials exercise authority or tyranny over them. And then Jesus says, not so with you. In other words, don't do this. This is not the way of greatness. This is not my way. This is not the way of the cross. Not so with you. Don't take your... Uh, positions or leadership opportunities or view of greatness to lord over people to have tyrannical authority over people so jesus is saying do the opposite true greatness is not like this it's like this and then he says something and i'll come back to chapter nine here he talks about greatness in servanthood with this metaphor of a child and I could just imagine Jesus sitting there talking directly to his disciples. And like I said, I think they're in a space where there's other people because he pulls a child in. There's a child there and he, he welcomes the child in and puts the child in his arms and embraces this child. And then says to the disciples, right after he talks about servanthood, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me. This is really significant because in the ancient world, uh, children, of course, were valued as children, but their status were, was very, very low. 
in society, their status was very low. And while parents loved their kids, I'm sure, kids held a very little, uh, very little status in society. No one listened to kids or took advice from kids or, you, or, or saw kids as their, you know, here's how we're going to make some decisions in our society. Unfortunately, children were not viewed in that way. And when one welcomes a child, in, in other words, it's possible that one might say one welcomes inconvenience. Now, I, I'm not saying, trust me, I'm not saying that kids are inconvenient and your kids aren't inconvenient if you have any. And my kids have never been inconvenient to us. I don't see them in that way. But think about it for a second. When you welcome a child into your life, you welcome inconvenience because you welcome something into your life, someone into your life, whom will inconvenience you because you begin to serve them and sacrifice for them and do things for them. You make room for a child and a parent in a child's life becomes the sacrificial figure. It's not the kids who are the sacrificial figures. The parents become sacrificial figures. And think about it. If you're a parent or you can think back to your parents, even if you aren't a parent, there is sacrifice in the life of a parent. In all streams, in all ages, I mean, I sometimes chat with parents of kids that are young adults or adults, and I say, hey, does it feel like you're sacrificing for your kids or it's kind of done with? They're like, uh, we're still sacrificing for our kids. But if you think about it, really in those early days, those early years of a child, you're preparing food for that child. A nursing mom feeds that child. Then toddlers get fed. They're cleaned and bathed and clothed. And if you've had a kid and you're changing their diapers, you know that it's not something you really choose to want to do in that day, right? Like if you've maybe been at a friend's house or an event or a party, and then you're like, oh my gosh, uh, something just exploded in my kids' pants, right? And you're like, well, what do I do? Well, you serve them. You clean them up. And you're like, oh, parenting involves poop. Great. So all of a sudden, we start to realize, yeah, parenting is actually sacrificial. The older kids get, you begin to read to them, and it's a joy to read to them. But you also say, like, ah, this is not the most stimulating thing I'm reading. I'm reading this for my kids, right? And how many times have you watched a cartoon? 17 times. Because your kids love it. And you do it because you want to encourage your kids and love your kids. And you find patience in affirming them more than criticizing them because you know that affirmation is going to grow them alongside with some correction. But you affirm, right? Parents sacrifice for their children. Why? Because they're looking to mature them and grow them and help them grow in health and maturity. So those children don't sacrifice in the future. Now, everybody always sacrifices throughout their life in some way. But what I mean is that if we don't sacrifice to help our kids read and grow, if we don't sacrifice to help our kids be healthy in the early years, that will make them sacrifice even more in their 20s and 30s and 40s because they will be missing something that they didn't get. So parents sacrifice early so they don't, the kids don't have to sacrifice later. There's a powerful, powerful image of this in the story about Harry Potter and the Harry Potter series. And Harry is um, a wizard who's learning how to be a wizard, and he's often targeted by evil people. And uh, there's an evil person named Voldemort who wants to destroy Harry. He wants to destroy Harry, but for some reason, he can't touch Harry. He can't impact Harry. And Harry asks this question, why 
why was I protected from Voldemort? Why am I protected from him? Why can't he touch me? And then he's told because earlier in his life, his mother had died. But his mother died specifically to save him. He died for, she died for him. And he begins to understand that her act of love in that moment, that even though it was a death, didn't scar him but marked him for something really important. Her sacrifice became a true act of love. Her sacrifice was, was a demonstrative love so deep that it protected him from Voldemort. Tim Keller says this in connection to the Harry Potter story. He says, anyone that has made a difference in our lives sacrificed in some way for us. They accepted some kind of hardship so we would not get hit with it ourselves. That's the servanthood of a parent to a child. But that's the ultimate idea of servanthood. Anyone that has made a difference in our lives sacrificed in some way for us. They accepted some kind of hardship so we would not get hit with it ourselves. And Jesus, as he brings this child uh, before the disciples and begins to let them know, you want to know what servanthood looks like? It looks like, it looks like this. It looks like welcoming a child. It looks like welcoming someone that society might not see as having status, but we welcome And he begins to describe servanthood in this way. And he begins to help us understand that greatness, now listen to this, it's really important, greatness, the way of the cross, is making room for people and needs that are dependent on your sacrificial service. That's what greatness is. Greatness is making room for ways for you to serve sacrificially. Greatness is welcoming people into your life, not based on status or prestige, but based on mercy and love. Greatness is not getting something from people, but giving something to people. That's greatness. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to be great, learn to serve. If you want to experience true greatness, learn to serve. Even in the stories of the pandemic that we heard on the video earlier today, you know, I think about this. Regardless of how long this pandemic lasts, we have opportunity for greatness, not by trying to become great, but by serving the needs right in front of us in our own home, in our own circles, in our own neighborhoods. And Jesus is telling us this is the way of the cross. Remember, just after he tells his disciples again he's going to die, he brings this conversation in to correct them about what true greatness is, and he leans into servanthood. And he says this way of life is the kind of life that welcomes Jesus. You welcome a child into your life. In other words, you welcome opportunities to sacrifice for people. You welcome opportunities that might inconvenience you. You welcome opportunities and needs where you give, not take. And that is the kind of posture, the kind of life that welcomes so much more of what Jesus has in store for you. This way of life welcomes Jesus. It welcomes his goodness, his peace, his joy, his wisdom. It it welcomes all that he longs to pour into your life. When we choose greatness in the path that the world chooses, we can miss out because we don't open ourselves up for the kind of life that Jesus wants to pour into us. But when we choose his way of life we find something uniquely different. In fact, we also, also, this is what we gain, access to our Heavenly Father. 
right? Jesus says, you don't just, you're not welcoming me. You're welcoming the one who sent me. He's referring to God the Father. So we have access to that. And so that, this posture, this way of life is the kind that Jesus responds to. It's as if Jesus is telling us, hey, if you want to experience me, if you want to experience the life that I have in store for you, then posture yourself in such a way that you would welcome one without status, that you would welcome one without power. This opens yourself up to me more than you can realize, more than you can imagine. And this opens up a relationship with my heavenly father more than you can ever imagine. But this is countercultural. So my question to you is, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is really greatness, the way Jesus is describing it? Do you believe it? That's so important. Because if, if we don't believe it, we'll never pursue his way. My invitation is really to think about that this week and, and even to do something this week to reflect this kind of greatness. Do something this week that reflects greatness in the way of servanthood, the way Jesus is calling us to. Practice it and see if you don't also open yourself up to the life and joy and peace of Christ. So let's do that this week. But let me leave you with some extra special good news here that is so beautiful in this text. And, and I'll just wrap up with this. Here, here's the good news for you and me. It's not only that Jesus is saying, welcome a child into your life. This metaphor helps us understand Jesus welcomes you and me in that way. Jesus welcomes you and me, not because of our status, not because of our position, not because of the amount of money we have in the bank, not because of the network of friends we have, not because of our platform or position. Jesus welcomes you on the same basis that he's telling us and inviting us to welcome a child. We, Jesus is saying, Don't, you're not welcoming a child because of their status, because it's the way of the cross. Jesus looks at us and see, we don't, we don't get an in with Jesus because of anything we've done, because of anything we've merited, because of anything we've earned. We are welcomed like a child. We are welcomed regardless of status. And that's good news. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were people without status, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And then I'll wrap up here with Mark 10, 45, which we've read already, but we'll say one more time, where Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to serve, but to, sorry, not to be served, but to serve. And then he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he served us by giving us his life. That word ransom is, is the word for payment or gift that is given to free someone. That that person can do nothing else but wait for a gift, for a payment, for a sacrifice to free them from the bondage that they're in. And Jesus says, I came to serve you in this way to give my life as a ransom for you, as a ransom for many. In other words, when Jesus tells his disciples, anybody who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus says, I'm, I'm the first one doing this. 
I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for humanity. Jesus became the ultimate example of servanthood and therefore the ultimate example of true greatness because he came, he came to serve and gave his life. Jesus did that for you. Jesus did that for me. Ultimately taking the hardship of the cross for us so we would not have to just like the sacrificial love of a parent and even more. And that saves us. That rescues us. But you know what else it is? Like we've been saying this last few weeks, it's not just that the cross happened because it did. It's not just that the cross saves you because it does. It's not just that the cross gives you life and life to the fullest because it is that path. But we're invited to be shaped that our own life and decisions and posture would be shaped by the cross. So we would follow the way of Jesus, this way of servanthood, towards true greatness. Let's pray. God, where some of us might struggle with believing that the way of true greatness is the way of servanthood, help our unbelief. God, we recognize that the, the, the way the world turns, the way the world communicates to us ambition and greatness and success is often contrary to this. And yet, God, we've met so many people and encountered so many stories and known through our own personal experiences that the pursuit of greatness in the way of the world often, very often, always leaves us empty. So God, help us believe that true greatness comes through servanthood. We thank you for the way of the cross. We thank you that Jesus didn't just teach us, he lived it. That Jesus didn't just invite us, he did it. He went to the cross. It was our ultimate example of true greatness in the form of servanthood. Oh God, may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit. May we be equipped by Jesus, your son, to live this way forward, this path forward in a cross-shaped life. And we thank you, we thank you that Christ's servanthood at the cross wasn't just an example for us, but it also saves us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com giving. Until next time, peace. Peace.